Welcome back to Verbatim Word, where we find biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. In the last podcast, we looked at God's Word in an on-demand world. Today, we want to talk about something we can all use in this uncertain world and in uncertain times. That's the wisdom that God's Word brings. I don't know about you, but I do not have everything in life figured out yet. And the older I get, the less I feel like I know. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes I feel like I'm trying to fake it until I make it, hoping that no one figures out that I'm pretty clueless about a lot of things in life. A few years ago, we returned to the United States from being overseas as missionaries, and we got jobs teaching. And one of the classes that I had to teach was a financial class for teenagers called Personal Financial Literacy. One problem, though, is that I had left the United States just three weeks after graduating college, and I had never really adulted in the United States, in particular in the areas of finance. And now I was responsible to teach a generation of high schoolers all about finance. Everything from credit scores to mortgages to compound interest to retirement, 401ks, annuities, all that stuff. So in an on-demand world, I googled every single night. I was just one step ahead of my students and I thought, man, if these kids only knew how clueless I was about finance, they wouldn't even come to this class anymore. Well, it feels a lot of times in life like we don't know exactly what we are doing. And you throw in a mix of worldwide pandemics, economic uncertainty, moral decay, political turmoil, personal struggles. We can use all the help that we can get. Today, we want to look at the power of God's simple word to give us all we need for life, no matter what we are facing right now. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open to Psalm 19, which is where we will land for our discussion on this podcast. If you've ever felt like you are in over your head in life, then you can relate to David in the Bible. King David in the Old Testament was pretty young when he was first called to be king. He wasn't trained or raised up in the royal courts. He was just a shepherd boy. It took years for David to ascend to the throne of Israel, even after he was called and anointed. But one thing David was so thankful for when it came time to rule successfully, he had the scriptures. He reflected on that in Psalm 19. Imagine. His dad was not a king. He had no kingly training. There was no kingly internship. But David did not have a degree in this, but he did have the word of God. And David found that each time he turned to the scriptures, good things happened. And this is what David wrote in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. King David was clueless about all that was required of him and how to do it right. Saul, the previous king, had been a horrible example of being a king. So David had the pressure of being the first king to do it right. He was actually writing the manual for future kings of Israel. So King David was so thankful that he had God's word. Notice the verses that we read in Psalm 19. David repeats a cause and effect relationship. He states one trait of the word of God, and then he follows that with the impact that that trait has. It's almost a guaranteed effect that the word of God had on his life. In our on-demand world, we give up on things way too quickly. 
we make a resolution or we a commitment or a goal or a step in a particular direction. And if we do not see results quickly, we give up. Even in podcasts, the platform that I'm using, they said that most of the accounts are inactive and the average uh, podcast has just three episodes and then the person gives up on doing that podcast because they see the time that goes into it and those podcasts are abandoned. I hope that I don't do that. I plan on not doing that. Please pray for me that I can continue through, but we give up way too quickly. David noted in Psalm 19 that there was a guarantee return with God's word though. It was foolproof. Because the very attributes and essence of God's word being divine, there would be some return that came with finding room in our lives for it. Because it is perfect and you are not, it can convert your soul. Because it is sure, proven, and not changing, it will make you wise. Because these things are right that we read in the scriptures and never wrong, you will rejoice when you believe and apply them. Do you see the pattern that David was writing? David saw that pattern, and we want to example, examine some of those things today. Notice some of the things that David wrote in Psalm 19. In verse 7, he writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That word there, perfect, that he wrote there in the Hebrew, it means complete, sound, healthful. The word convert there means to turn back or to bring back. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have a sinful, rebellious nature. We choose what we want instead of what God says is best for us. Now, that may not be a popular message in today's world, but it is the truth. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as David wrote Psalm 19, he reflected on the one thing that always steered him back to God, that could always turn back his soul. It was God's law. David always didn't do it perfect, but he saw that every time he came back to see what God had to say, his heart was turned back to the things of God. Now, David had the Old Testament law, which constantly reminded him that he needed a savior, which we will get to in future podcasts. But he saw that each time he turned to the word, his soul was recalibrated to come back to God. I was 12 years old and my mom sent me to vacation Bible school at the Baptist church in Kihei. And it was the last day and our teacher was teaching about the cross, going through so many of the scriptures, what they would call the Romans road that points to our need for a savior. Now, I was a good kid. I didn't like to do anything wrong. I was good at following rules. I didn't want to be the kid that was always being called out. So I tried to do the best that I could in every area I could in life. I was a good kid. And I'd been at church for about two years by that point, but I had not really given my life to Christ yet. I didn't realize it at the time, but that day I did realize that. And so some reason that day when the teacher was going through the scriptures, telling us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that he who, be, he who knew no sin became sin for us, going through scriptures that point to us our need for the Savior and Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit convicted me. At 12 years old there, I felt like the room went dark and like there was a spotlight on me and like the teacher was looking directly at me and that I had gotten in trouble, almost like I was called out at school for doing something wrong. Now, the teacher that day was not particularly looking at me and was not targeting me, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was. And that's the day that I gave my life to Christ. And I don't know who is listening, but if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're still living for you, if your soul has not turned back to God you've got to read the Bible. It has the power to convert the soul. And David saw that, that each time he came, it converted his soul and recalibrated and turned it back to him. As we move on in verse seven, David writes this, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's what David felt every single day. 
He knew that he was inexperienced and he knew that he was clueless, but he found the word of God made a simple guy like him appear to be wise because he simply read it and applied it. Those who turn to God's word and not just on demand, but dig consistently and have a firm commitment to it. It doesn't matter how simple you are, uneducated, inexperienced, untalented. The word of God can make you wise. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, Jesus and his disciples were not trained up in the religious schools of those days under the, under the famous rabbis. They had been passed over when the rabbis selected their prized pupils as teenagers. So it drove the religious leaders crazy when they saw how wise Jesus was. During the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three yearly feasts that all Jewish males who were able to, or, uh, who were able were required to attend, Jesus is found in Jerusalem. As we read in John chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? So Jesus teaches there in the temple. He's teaching something from the Old Testament, because the New Testament was not written yet. And when they hear it, it says that they marvel. That word being used long before it was tied to any superhero movies making bank at the box office, the word marvel, the Greek word thumazo, it means to wonder. It means to go, what? How? Wow. To be, to be left speechless, something so surprising. In essence, they said, how does he know all this stuff, having never studied under us? No, Jesus had studied. These were his father's words that he was preaching. His parents had taught him as they rose up and as they sat down, as they walked along the way, according to Deuteronomy 6, like we saw in the last podcast. Jesus had attended synagogue where they systematically read the Old Testament scriptures and even memorized them. We see that scene in one of the gospels that even he was in the temple when he was a young boy, reasoning with the leaders at an earlier feast. But there at this feast in John chapter 7, they marveled that this simple carpenter from Galilee was full of wisdom. But a second meaning of that word marvel, thumazo, is to admire or to have an admiration. Have you ever admired someone, really just looked up to them? Maybe for their athletic ability or, or their humor or their discipline. Well, when they heard Jesus teach, they admired him because he was doing something that they were not. The crowds were finding help, guidance, and understanding from Jesus. They were not getting it from the religious leaders. When the religious leaders taught the word of God, well, the people were not wise enough to get it. It went over their heads. The religious leaders had convoluted it to the point that the common people needed to go to rabbi school to even begin to get it and apply it. But Jesus explained the word in a way that made wise the simple. They admired, albeit with jealousy, the way Jesus, a simple man made wise by God's word, was able to teach simple people in a way that gave them wisdom. Jesus was not the only one to gain wisdom by God's word in a way that confounded the religious elite. A few years later, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, there's a story in the book of Acts. Jesus' own disciples had been arrested after healing a lame man in the same temple where Jesus taught in John chapter 7. Peter and John are called in to be reprimanded by the religious leaders because after healing the lame man, they preached in the temple and the crowd ate it up. And it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 13, Now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. 
Once again, they marveled. That's that same Greek word again. They wondered, but they also may have admired these guys. These two apostles were uneducated in their schools, the schools of the religious elite, and untrained by their rabbis, but they had been with Jesus, and he had simply fed them the word of God. The diet Jesus gave them made wise the simple. Imagine, these religious leaders had left home as teenagers. They had committed to learn and study the scriptures under some rabbi and the legalism of the day that was mixed in with it. And these fishermen simply studied God's word under Jesus for three years. And their teaching has more influence and impact and power than theirs ever did. They had to admire these guys, even if they were jealous. Man, I studied for years and you got what I don't have. Do you need some wisdom in life in this day and age? If there was a food to eat or a pill to take to make you more wise, would you take it? Would you feed it or force someone else to swallow it if it it had the power to make them wise? David effectively said that it was God's word that had made him wise. It made a simple man wise. We spend so much time and money and effort seeking wisdom with schooling, with degrees, with training, experts, counseling, books, therapy. And while God may use some of those things, going to those things may be averted if we would just learn the Bible. This wisdom is what we hope to find on verbatim word, biblical truth in a daily context, that we will find the Holy Spirit giving us application for our lives and our times. Now, David mentions something else in Psalm 19. Let's jump down to the second part of verse 8. Verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Not only does a healthy diet of God's word give us wisdom, but it opens our eyes. The word enlightened there in the Hebrew, it means to become light as of the day or to shine like the sun. It's to turn on a light bulb so you can see something better or the room growing brighter in the morning as the sun starts to rise. When I get up a little bit earlier than my wife sometimes and I put on my clothes and slip out of the room so as not to wake her, I find every now and then that I've put on something inside out or even backwards. And it's not until the room becomes brighter or the day becomes lighter that I finally realize that. That's the enlightenment that David describes, a clarity that comes with God's pure word. This is so needed in a pretty dark world right now. We need some light to see clearly and not stumble or trip up. It's amazing how much my own story in the Bible opened my eyes when it came to my faith. My family, we were not believers when I was growing up, though we did go to church at times. And when I was around 10 years old, my family started going to church. It was a non-denominational Bible teaching church, and I did not know a lot. I remember going to Sunday school, and in that Sunday school, they had these readers that had the different Bible stories in them, almost like magazines. And to appeal to young people, of course, they were kind of more like comic books or comic strips with these illustrations of the stories that we were going through. I was so ignorant of the Word of God, I I didn't know these stories at all. They were kind of strange to me. Why were we talking about these things? And my big question was, is that every story, every single week, these people in the stories, in the photographs, in the pictures, were wearing Bible clothes, you know, like shepherd's outfits and things over their head and long robes and carrying staffs. And I couldn't understand why they wouldn't shake it up a bit. I was wondering, when were we going to get stories that had to do with cowboys or space themes or some other time period in history? Why did it always have to do with the Middle East? Well, it wasn't until later that I realized that these were real stories that took place in a real time in history. Now, it was a good church and we learned a lot and they taught through the word of God. 
I remember my family often went to the first service at church. The church had two services, but the first service, there was no Sunday school. And so we often had to go to big church. And I remember being about 12 years old, sitting in big church, and we were going through the book of Hebrews, which if you've never studied the book of Hebrews, it's a pretty meaty book for a 12-year-old unchurched kid. But you know what? I still remember some of those things that were taught. Now, I grew up in Hawaii, so this church was in Hawaii. And every now and then, if you've ever heard Pidgin English, there's a dialect there. And as we were going through, the pastor was kind of capitalizing on the fact that we were there in Hawaii. And so one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the priesthood. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. But the pastor at the time, using the Pidgin vernacular, he just kept saying, Jesus is more better. Jesus is even better. Uh, The pastor repeated this week after week after week. It's crazy now that 30 plus years later, I still remember that phrase and I associate it with the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is Mobeta. Everything else is inferior next to Jesus. Reading and studying God's word in context for me, even as a 12-year-old, enlightened my eyes. I remember at that church too, going to youth group, I was probably in seventh or eighth grade and we were going through the book of Daniel. And of course, the book of Daniel is highly applicational. There's stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And they taught us lessons, things like don't give in to peer pressure, Um, Daniel in the lion's den, lessons like stand up for your faith, God will help you, very applicational. But I remember learning about Belteshazzar's dream of the statue with the head of gold and the chest of bronze and so on and so forth, and that this could potentially represent different kingdoms in history. The Babylonian kingdom, overthrown then by the Medes and the Persians, overthrown then by the, by the Greeks and then Rome, and then the ten fingers, uh, the ten toes revived the Roman Empire, things like that. And I was in seventh or eighth grade. And then the 70 weeks prophecy in the book of Daniel, um, each week having representing the seven year period for the nation of Israel and the Messiah being cut off. This was deep stuff. I think back now and I think, what was our youth leader thinking teaching us this at youth group? This was not for God so loved the world or God works all things together for good or trust in the Lord with all your heart. This was meat. Now, the thing was, is I liked youth group. We played goofy games and had fun camps and events, but I think I went home from youth group not always fully getting what it was that we were studying in the book of Daniel, but it was sown in my heart and it was sown in my mind. And years later, it really started to make sense as I saw the whole picture of the scriptures, God's plan from beginning to end, his covenants, his plan for Israel, types in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus. As David wrote in Psalm 19, the word enlightens the eyes like the sun rising up. Like the dawn of the day, the word gets brighter and brighter over time. And even though the first time I learned Hebrews was as a 12-year-old or Daniel at 14 years old, it's amazing that those same scriptures today mean more than they did back then. I see more in them and have found more understanding over time. My friend JJ and I have been getting together to go through Mark's gospel, and we were talking recently about how we have studied and heard these things so many times, but we're both seeing something new each time we go to the scriptures. It's like the sun rising. It is getting brighter and brighter. The first podcast, we looked at Deuteronomy 6, and we talked about the Shema. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God. Speak of these things as you go along the path. 
And that afternoon, I was on a video Bible study with some friends in Slovenia, and one had woken up that morning and listened to the podcast, and then they opened their Bible, another had opened up their Bible app, and that was the verse for the day, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then we got together online, and we decided to talk through that scripture once more. Three times in one day, they were hit with Deuteronomy 6, and each time that we read through it, it was brighter and brighter and brighter. That's why studying God's Word is not like reading your favorite novel or watching a good movie. You don't read it or watch it once, and you pretty much have it. You can revisit it repeatedly, and you get more out of it, more detail as time goes. It's good to slow down with the Word of God. Someone told me a couple years ago about something called Lectio Divino, and some have different opinions about it. There's different versions of it, but basically you read through the scriptures and you ponder something, and then you read it through again and you ponder something else, and then you read it through another time and you ponder something else, hopefully mining out of it each time something more from it, that it would enlighten your eyes. We did this recently with a group of young adults that we meet with once a month. We were looking at the seven churches in Revelation. And I studied and knew all everything in context and had a lesson prepared. But rather than me just telling them what was in there, we decided to dig through and go through it with a, a form of this Lectio Divino. So the first time we read through it all silently to ourselves, and then we just kind of pondered it for about a minute or so. The second time we read through it, and I had each of them then just state for the group the one word or phrase that stuck out to them. They could give no commentary, but they could just say, what stuck out to me from that? The next time we read through it, they were to look for a word or phrase that stuck out to them. It might be the same one or it might be a different one. And at that point, they could give one or two sentences of commentary of why that stuck out to them. Then we read it through another time. And from there, they had to explain to the group something that they saw that was a little bit more visual. Like maybe they saw an image um, from the scriptures and it kind of compared to something in their life. And they could explain to that a little bit more. And then the next time we read through it, I then went ahead and kind of filled in the gaps. Some of the things that they maybe had not seen that I had looked when I studied through commentaries and listened to other teachers on the subject. And then the final time we read through it, we each then told the group, what's something that we need to do with this? What's one point of application that we can take away from it? It's amazing. I had read that church so many times, but as we read through the scriptures, it was enlightening our eyes and the Holy Spirit was giving revelation across the room of different things that I had not even seen, even though I had spent the week preparing it. That's the power of God's word. It's so great to see it brighter as we go through it. And David said it would do exactly that in Psalm 19. It would enlighten the eyes. We will pick up on these verses again next time, but as we close this podcast, let's consider the power of God's Word. It's spring right now in Oklahoma, and I made a prediction to my wife about a week ago as I looked out through our windows. I said, this next week, our yard is going to pop with color, with flowers, everything's going to bloom. It was a no-brainer, and the reason why is because I had simply looked at the weather forecast. I knew that it was going to rain for about two days, and with all that water, I could predict that within a week's time, our grass was going to be green and our flowers were going to be blooming because of the few days of rain that we had. And sure enough, this week, our yard looks amazing. Now, God spoke through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he said this in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. 
God has programmed in his word, in the very DNA, power. It has a cause and effect power that he swears upon. It will not return void. Do you need to be converted or brought back? His word can do it. Do you need wisdom? Seek it in the scriptures. Do you need to be enlightened? You will see more and more as you faithfully read it. And Lord, I just pray for all those who are listening to this podcast and for myself as well. Lord, that you would open our eyes that we could see wondrous things in your law. I pray against the distractions of life that are keeping us from being able to dive into your scriptures, Lord Jesus, that we would be able to set aside those things and really invest in these riches of heaven. Lord, I pray, Father, that as we're on this journey, that you would also give us greater faith to not only receive the word of God, but to believe the word of God and to act upon the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would transform us from glory to glory by the spirit of God as we go through the scriptures together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Verbatim Word. We'll continue next time in Psalm 19. Until then, God bless you.